You are listening to Shout for Libraries in Edmonton on CJSR. We're a group of library students at the University of Alberta who are raising awareness about topics such as censorship, freedom of expression, and social responsibility. My name is Michelle. And I'm Marin, and we'll be your hosts for this half hour of library-centric radio. Thanks for tuning in. On each episode of Shout for Libraries, we explore a different issue in library and information studies. Today, we will be discussing issues surrounding people experiencing homelessness in the library. The world's largest professional association of librarians, the American Library Association, has stated that people experiencing poverty or homelessness constitute a significant portion of users in many libraries today, and this population provides libraries with an important opportunity to change lives. As the number of poor children, adults, and families in North America rises, so does the urgent need for libraries to effectively respond to their needs. Access to library and information resources, services, and technologies is essential for all people, especially the economically disadvantaged who may experience isolation, discrimination, and prejudice or barriers to education, employment, and housing. This year, we're fortunate to have an upcoming movie which is increasing the visibility of these issues in the public. The public follows a group of homeless library patrons during a cold snap in which too few emergency shelters have been opened to support the homeless population of the city. In order to save themselves and their fellow patrons, they stage an Occupy protest of the library, which puts them at odds with the police and public officials. The movie examines problems of marginalization of the homeless population, a lack of resources in libraries and for librarians to assist this group, and problems of media interpretations of people experiencing homelessness. Cold enough for you, Ernesto? I'm taking my ass back to Mexico if this cold keeps up. It must be really nice to have a job where you get to sit around and read all day. Sir, you're going to have to put your clothes back on. There are a bunch of guys fighting in the men's room. Athena, time to go. I'll leave when I'm damn good and ready. Identified homeless man was found dead just outside the doors of the public library. I heard two more people froze to death. When it gets this cold, I don't know why they don't just let us stay here. There's not enough shelter for us people on the street. There are a lot of cop cars here. Is everything all right? The library has not been sanctioned an official emergency shelter. So now is probably not a great time to come and get my library card. We're a public library. We're not a shelter for the homeless. Our biggest struggle here is knowing which side of right we're actually walking. The public library is the last bastion of true democracy that we have in this country. What's it going to be, Mr. Goodson? Either one of us or you're one of them. And that was a clip from the upcoming movie, The Public, opening later this year. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to Shout for Libraries in Edmonton on CJSR. We are discussing issues surrounding people experiencing homelessness in the library. Up next, we have Chris Joseph, who sat down for a chat with Hillary Kirkpatrick, one of Edmonton Public Library's outreach workers, to discuss her role as an embedded social worker in the library. My name is Hillary Kirkpatrick. I'm a social worker for the Edmonton Public Library, and I have been since July 2014. So tell me a little bit about your, your path through your, your career in social work and, and how you ended up at the library as a social worker. <laughs> yeah, um, this is actually my first job <laughs> as a social worker. Nice. I know. So I graduated um, from University of Calgary, the Edmonton satellite location, and then I had a few interviews and obviously interviewed with the library, and I felt like it was a really good fit, and they offered me the position. And so I didn't know that I wanted to work in the inner city. I, I kind of saw myself working in policy. But when I thought more about it and I kind of spoke to my mentors, I realized that in order to do 
good work in policy in the future, I would need to have a really good understanding of the frontline issues. And now I'm in love with inner city work, frontline work, and I couldn't, I, I can't see myself doing policy. <laughs> Uh, what was it about the Edmonton Public Library position that appealed to you the most? Well, it's obviously groundbreaking. This doesn't really exist anywhere else. You get to do work that is creative and really get to work with people in a relationship-based way. We don't ask people what their detriments are or are going on in their life first. We build relationship first. And then through that relationship, we kind of find out what's going on in their life that we could support them with. Um, a lot of people probably are unaware that their community outreach program exists here and that there are social workers, you know, basically on staff at the Edmonton Public Library. Um, so just describe what the service looks like. So there's three of us. We are mainly stationed at the Enterprise Square Library, which is on Jasper Avenue and 102nd Street, while we wait for the beautiful Stanley Milner to be refurbished, as they say. So we work out of the office downtown here. Uh, we also travel to different branches that have higher needs. So Sherry goes to Abbotsfield on Tuesday. I go to Woodcroft Library on Wednesday. And Francesca goes to Sprucewood Library on Thursday. So basically, we're stationed at um, the library that we are working out of that day. And we generally have a caseload of people that we are already working with. But we also welcome new people, like new clients who might need our help. A lot of people seek us out, and we also have uh, referrals from other agencies or just street referrals. We also try to meet people within the library. So we go and build relationships with people sitting and reading or maybe accessing other programs. When you're building something new and you're re you're reaching out to somebody in the library, what, what do you look for? I'm, I'm certain that people that you work with look like pretty much everybody else most of the time? Um, I think we have a targeted approach, but it doesn't look that way. So I might, um, just like any social worker, we're kind of trained to be able to see people who might have fallen through the cracks. So they might be people who are presenting with what looks like a mental health issue or possibly an addiction. Those, kind, those things are a little bit more obvious. But I don't go over and say, hey, like, can I help you with your uh, substance use? I don't, I so I go over and I would just say, hey, how are you? My name's Hillary. And maybe bring like a snack. And then the next day I might say, hey, I saw you yesterday. What are you reading? And then over time build up that relationship. Um, so for people on the outside, what it looks like is Hillary's just slacking off talking to everybody. <laughs> we try to look at building relationship as the onus is on us as the social workers. So anything that might be seen as um, a behavior, I'm using quotations right now, behavior, a negative behavior, we actually see that as a protective barrier for the person that has helped them survive and create their own resiliency. So we actually look for ways to um, level the power playing field, as we call it, and try to um, kind of create a connection between us and then eventually get to what the root of the issue is. Like they might need help with their housing. They might need help with income. They might want to get into treatment. We always start off with relationship. And that's what the library allows us to do. Is that unique to the library environment? Is this, is this what you were trained to do when you were learning social work? Or is there something unique about this space that makes that approach different? It, it is unique to the library environment because people aren't necessarily Necessarily coming here. They are sometimes coming here to seek out social work help, but they aren't always. So if you're coming to an agency that specializes in housing or an agency that specializes in income, people are people are ready with the forms that they need and the social workers are ready to receive those. Um, for us, we generally are just 
we're, we're here and we can help you with things that you need, but we don't, ex- we do, people aren't seeking us out necessarily for those things. Can you tell me a little bit about the some of the differences between say services that are offered here and other community service organizations like like Boyle Street, for example? Oh yeah, we actually uh, really respect and work very closely with almost every inner city agency. Um, we depend on them. We only I'm here. You can see my desk and my cell phone. That's the only resources I have to offer. The library doesn't have like housing programming or doesn't offer income programming or anything like that. We have relationships with the workers within. Boyle Street, Bissell, Alberta Works, um, Native Counseling. Like um, we work with Boyle Macaulay Health Center a lot, so we get to know the people who work there, and we respect and, and admire their work. And we try to kind of create teams around folks who are very highly marginalized. So a lot of the folks that we work with, they might not have a home; they live outside, um, or they might utilize shelters often don't have an income and like I mentioned sometimes will have substance use issues or mental health that are untreated and affecting their lives negatively so then we we rely on those resources and we call them and say I met this person uh, we sign consent first mm-hmm. asterisks there because get a consent sign and then um, connect with any of the resources in the inner city and so we really we completely rely on other resources and we really try to be kind of an outreach arm for other um, inner city community agencies as well. You know, the role of a librarian often is around providing access to existing services and knowledge, and it feels very much like there's a similar approach here. Mm-hmm. Do you do you find that you're sort of working more as a facilitator or referral, or is there a lot more direct work? I can act as a referral source, um, or like t- like pointing people d- the direction to go, um, much like a librarian. Um, but because we tend to work with folks who are highly marginalized and maybe have fallen through many of the cracks, we actually do very intense. Um, community-based advocacy work. So we actually go with people to their doctor's appointments. We accompany them to um, income support. Um, we accompany them to their appointment to see their kids with child and family. We like we hold meetings in our office with all of the workers involved and try to act as like an, a support for them in those meetings and kind of hold the person's um, what they want. We try to hold that to be the center and, and uplift them and what is good going on. We try to like center what their values are in the meeting. So we do, it kind of both, like I do know a lot of resources and I do know kind of where to send people, but I definitely, we definitely spend a lot of our time in the community with people going out there, like actually supporting people to get things done because that's how people fall through the cracks is they, someone says, oh, just go to income support and fill out this and but then they say how and when and why and they turned me away or I didn't have this form or so we really try to close those gaps and and in a respectful way and then afterwards after the appointment people are often um, depending on what the appointment was people can feel kind of raw their emotions they can feel um, either badly about themselves or kind of like worried about what the next step will be and so we really try to help close the appointment by helping them feel good about themselves help them remember that they're doing the best that they can that we are we're trying to take on the work for them so that they don't have too much on their plate we're together as a team you've been talking a lot about relationships and mm-hmm. building relationships with people. Mm-hmm. What what does success look like under this model? <laughs> For us, the 
um, barometer of success is people coming to see us not when they have a problem, but when they want to share their joy. Often people will like will meet them when they live outside and things are really rough for them and um, times are really hard. And then we help kind of get them on track, get them connected to the right resources, go to things with them. And sometimes it takes up to a year, like things can take a long time. But then after things have kind of slowed down, they'll come with they'll come to see us and tell us like how great things are and like bring us a donut or something like that. Um, and just to like share with us how great their life is right now and um, we often have people who, uh, like, they want us to meet their family, which I think is, like, such an honor. We can't always do that, but, like, they want us, they want to let us know, like, parts of their lives that they would, would normally kind of try to hide. So I think the, the greatest indicator of success for us is when people um, can really feel like, like, being around us, they feel dignity. They feel um, like they can be their true selves with us and they can come back to us when they actually don't have anything going on that are issues and they can say, hey, Hillary, um, I got a dog or like I want to see a picture of my new cat or I made this great meal in my new home. And they just want to share the joy and the beauty of their life and they want to just share with us like the the journey and the good part too, not just that we've we've been through with them through the dark, scary parts, and they really want us to be a part and hear about the great light of their lives now. Um, I wanted to ask about sort of the level of demand for the service. Have you have you seen? You've been here for a few years now. Have you seen it increase? Are you able to keep up with it? What are some of the challenges that you're facing currently? Yeah, so there is a, a great demand. Um, we are honored to have that demand. Um, I think it, it ebbs and flows. We had a really great demand when we were at the Milner Library before it was renovated. Um, and then when we moved here, it kind of went down a little bit, I think because people didn't know where we were, but now we're coming back up. So there is a great demand um, on our time. We get referrals from all over the city, everything from doctor's offices, lawyers, psychologists, psychiatrists from all over the city, including street referrals from folks who were referring their friend, um, or like I said, the inner city agency. So there is, um, yes, a huge demand on us, but we really try to be incredibly intentional about who we do work with, who we take on, because we really want to be working with those people who um, are having a really hard time getting actually connected to those services and who have a hard time, who don't have relationship with anyone in the inner city and, and who have a hard time building that. So folks who are like very highly marginalized, very highly vulnerable. Um, so there is a huge demand, but we try to be very clear about who we want to work with. And then if it's if someone comes who doesn't quite fit, um, who might be a little bit more independently resourceful or who has other resources, we try to um, just connect them securely to those resources so that they feel supported. Um, so we we try we don't turn anyone away really. Like we really just try to make sure every person um, has a safe place to turn to, a safe place to go. So yeah. Yeah. Speaking of safe places to go, mm -hmm. this is the big the big question probably. Mm -hmm. Why the library? What is it about this space that makes mm -hmm. people feel that they can come here and look for services of the type that you provide? Yeah. Um, so safe public spaces that don't require anything for entry, like 
spending money, I think is a dwindling resource in every city. Um, the library is a space that welcomes anyone and everyone from all walks of life. It's destigmatized, entirely destigmatized, like no one thinks that you're coming to the library for social work help. You could be coming here for anything, and there's so many different programs here at, at the library. So I think the reason that the library works for people is they feel there's uh, like the library is kind of a part of everyone's story. The library, uh, it kind of fits into everyone's narrative of being a Canadian citizen. Like you've always kind of, the I know I grew up with like the local library. Everyone kind of has a sense of that. And it's just a place to feel at home. You're welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. So it really offers that space that is welcoming, warm. And then there happens to be a couple of a couple of people in a, a, a room who will help you with anything you need social work related. And it's not so it's like housing is amazing. Getting someone housing, getting someone the help that they need is the greatest thing. But relationship is the greatest resource that anyone has. Like you don't need to be a professional social worker to have good relationship skills and just be able to reach out to someone and be human with them and just bring dignity to every interaction you have with every person, whether it's a CEO or the person working at Starbucks or a person who lives outside, treating all people with dignity and respect and the respect that you would want, um, I think is such an important piece of the work that we do and of just being like a human being <laughs> in the world. This job has given me so much more than I could ever give to it. I feel like just so incredibly honored to have to get to work with the folks who I get to work next to and with and yeah it's just been such an honor I feel like I'm blown away this is my first job like and I get to do this like it's the coolest thing ever really anti-oppressive work trauma-informed work harm reduction work work that is uh, you can really stand by and be proud of it's a it's a great place to be honestly can't think of a better place to leave it than that. <laughs> I, I really want to thank you so much for spending uh, some time with us today, with sharing mm -hmm. with uh, uh, information about your work with um, our listening audience. Mm -hmm. um, thank you so much for the work that you do and for the dignity you bring to the people who uh, frequent the library. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wish you all the very, very best oh, as you. you advance in your career. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. If you're just turning in, you're listening to Shout for Libraries in Edmonton on CJSR, and that was Chris Joseph chatting with Hilary Kirkpatrick from the Edmonton Public Library. Recently, Ryan Dowd, the executive director of a large homeless shelter outside of Chicago, developed a training program and book called A Librarian's Guide to Homelessness. The book is set to release this year, and the course is available online through homelesslibrary.com. I spoke with Leanne Wittig, a library assistant for Edmonton Public Library, who recently took the course to discuss how this course has helped her in her library work thus far. I'm here with my coworker Leanne Wittig, who is a library assistant at the Strathcona branch of Edmonton Public Library. She recently took Ryan Dowd's Librarians and Homelessness course, and she was willing to sit down and talk to me about it. So, Leanne, how has this course helped you in your library work so far? I think this course was amazing. I think everyone working in the library, everyone in general should take it, but especially if you're working in a library setting. We get people from all types of different socioeconomic statuses coming into the library because we're offering them free access to knowledge and information. So I think it's great that everyone's coming in and using our space more, but I think it's also really important to understand where some of our patrons are coming from and to understand that some of them don't have homes and what their lifestyles are kind of like. 
Ryan did an amazing job of explaining things, you know, breaking everything down so that we can do our jobs better. A few of the things I really liked that he talked about was focusing on empathy-driven enforcement instead of punishment-driven. Punishment-driven doesn't really work with people who don't have homes and they've had more of a harsh lifestyle. And it also he also brought into view the differences in, in time in, in someone's life that's living on the streets. They don't view time in the same way that we do, so I think it was really great that he highlighted that. I also think it was really great because we get people from all different socioeconomic statuses. Sometimes people that are coming from middle class or a wealthier class, it, there can be judgment brought into things when they see people who don't have homes in the library. So a key point that he definitely talked about was focusing on the behavior of all of our patrons regardless of socioeconomic status and that if people don't like seeing poverty in the library, they can help to eradicate poverty instead of blaming the individuals who don't have homes. Thanks, Marin. Next up, we have Gabrielle talking to Natalia Brettel, Circulation and Public Service Specialist at the Rutherford and Weir Libraries at the University of Alberta. They discussed how an academic library responds to homelessness, what measures are in place to assist these patrons, and whether there is an opportunity to include more. You might see it more often in public libraries. I don't know if I'd call it homelessness all the time. Uh, sometimes maybe it would be better to call it something like um, unpredictable housing or uh, something like that. I think the students themselves often, well, I don't know often, but probably have homelessness issues more often than we know, um, but also members of the public that use the libraries, which we see probably the most at uh, the Rutherford Library because we're so close to an LRT station mm -hmm. that connects right to downtown and things like that. What has the university done to respond to homelessness in the library? We respond to it, I think, immediately on the desk in the sense that everybody is welcome to stay while we're open. Um, there's There are no judgments made about uh, who can cross the threshold of the library and who can spend time in the library. Um, so beyond that, of course, as long as people are abiding by the university's uh, guidelines for use and, um, you know, policies around conduct in the library, there's no reason for us uh, to disallow anybody staying here while we're open. Um, in terms of particular initiatives, I'm, I'm not sure that the libraries themselves would address that independently of the university as a whole. Mm -hmm. So I think about things like student wellness groups or like even Student Connect and uh, Students Union. I think probably those agencies within the library um, do more specific um, work around dealing with homelessness around campus probably. So do you think the university uh, does a good job of addressing gaps in services for homeless persons? I think that addressing issues like homelessness or um, low income, um, uh, shortages in, in food, uh, all of these things um, have to be readdressed quite often. So I think it's something that might be tricky to just say, it, the, you know, the university does a good job or doesn't do a good job. I think it's an evolving uh, responsibility. It's something that always has to be revisited. So would you be interested in sharing any of your personal experiences with homelessness here in the library? 
I'm, I am going to use this as a chance to talk a little bit about what happened last summer um, when we had the bed bug outbreak of 2017. The reason I wanted to talk about that is because the reason it happened had to do with, uh, you know, the living conditions of some of the people who chose to spend time in this library. And those people are still welcome to be here. Um, but I think what's important for people to know about that situation is that it did end up highlighting a problem um, that somebody was having with their living conditions and we were able to find some help for that person, uh, you know, to uh, hopefully resolve a rather uncomfortable living situation. So um, sometimes when things like that happen in a very public space, it's important for people to keep in mind that the reason those things can happen is because this is supposed to be an inclusive space that includes people who are facing all kinds of challenges we know nothing about. So interestingly enough, that incident really did tie into um, um, the egalitarian purpose, I think, of a library space. That was Gabrielle Lamontang with Natalia Bredel. This month, we also have a review from Rachel Olison, who highlighted the Brain Pickings website and specifically a collection of works by Ursula K. Le Guin on public nature of the library. Brain Pickings website is a wealth of knowledge about writing, literature, ideas, and of course, libraries. This website is a labor of love by Maria Popova, which she describes as a subjective lens on what matters in the world and why. It is through Popova's writing that I came across the late great Ursula K. Le Guin's collection of essays entitled The Wave and the Mind, Talks and Essays on the Writer, the Reader, and the Imagination. In Le Guin's essay titled My Libraries, she takes us on a personal journey on how libraries inspire her youth and informed her growth into adulthood. She begins in stating, a library is a focal point, a sacred place in a community, and its sacredness is its accessibility, its publicness, its everybody's place. She ends with asserting, that joy must not be sold. It must not be privatized, made into another privilege for the privileged. A public library is a public trust, and that freedom must not be compromised. It must be available to all who need it, and that's everyone, when they need it, and that's always. This book can be purchased directly from Penguin Random House or from your local bookstore. It's a bit harder to find in Canadian libraries, but you can always order it through interlibrary loans. But please do Le Guin's memory of service. Do not buy it on Amazon. She is famous for advocating against the corporation. And if you want information on why, there's a great article on our website called Electric Literature called Ursula K. Le Guin. I keep asking you not to buy books from Amazon. Now, I also discovered a wonderful photography book by public libraries uh, in the United States. This book is by photographer Robert Dawson and is a love letter 18 years in the making on how important libraries are to their communities. Dawson himself asserts in the book that when a library is open, no matter its size or shape, democracy is open too. You can buy it at your local bookstore or easily find it at your local library. Now, if you are looking for other gems about public libraries, you should definitely check out Brain Picking's post titled How Libraries Save Lives. That includes a magical oral animation by Story Corps called The Bookmobile about a little girl named Storm Rays who grew up in an impoverished Native American beauty 
community and had her life profoundly changed by a library bookmobile. This video was also adapted into an essay found in the book called Callings, The Purpose and Passion of Work. The video is available on YouTube and the book can be purchased through Penguin Random House, your local bookstore, or you can take it out from the local library. And that's it for my recommendations for this episode. Please remember to support your local library to help keep our communities alive and flourishing. This has been Rachel Oslin for Shep for Libraries. Thank you, Rachel, for those awesome recommendations. If you're just tuning in, this is Shout for Libraries on CJSR, and that's it for today's show. A special thanks to Anu Parihan, a.k.a. Anoop Scoop, who composed our theme music. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you to our guests for joining us on Shout for Libraries. You can visit our Facebook page at Shout for Libraries or visit us on Twitter at Shout, the number four, Libraries. Once again, this has been Michelle and Marin, and we have been your hosts for this half hour of library-centric radio. Catch us on the next episode of Shout for Libraries. Shout for Libraries.